Welcome to the fireside chat between Accountfully and Noise New Media. Um, for intro, my name is Brad Abano from Accountfully. We're an outsourced accounting firm. Um, I'm excited to have kind of our clients and friends, Steve Rico and Mark O'Shea from Noise New Media um, on this chat. How are you, you guys doing today? Good, Brad. How's it going today? It's going well. It's going well for uh, Thursday afternoon. So excited to chat about Noise New Media and, and some of the things that you guys have going on. So um, before we get started, just from uh, you know, sake of this conversation, what we're looking for uh, for the audience out there is uh, information about Noise New what you guys do from a business perspective and and how accounting, outsourced accounting and bookkeeping help to help support your decision making and growth of your business. So for those for those out in the audience, that's what we're trying to get to. So kind of starting off um, from a noise new perspective, why don't you guys give a little background of, of your kind of where you came from, why noise new, why your business partners and kind of what you guys do and sell and then we'll move on from there. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Uh, so my name is Steve Rico, and uh, we, Mark and I started uh, Noise New Media back in 2008. So we're right at the uh, right about the 15 year mark, um, which is pretty incredible. Um, and Definitely. you know, and, and back in our, our infancy, you know, I have a background in in graphic design and IT. Uh, Mark's got a, a background in um, is a, a background of being a tremendous musical artist, in, in addition to a great marketing mind. Uh, and when we met back in 2007, uh, before we started, decided to start an agency together, um, you know, I had a lot of uh, capabilities and Mark had a lot of great ideas. Uh, and we kind of had a, uh, a very interesting synergy um, at the start uh, and decided that we could kind of make something, uh, some semblance of a business and take the show on the road, if you will. Um, and uh, we basically started our business back in the, what I would call like the MySpace era or like the early, early advent of the iTunes, um, you know, like when record stores were closing around here in Nashville and, you know, iTunes is really starting to take, take grip and become like a major, a major um, impacting force uh, on the music scene here. Uh, well, I think, you know, we saw a definite need in, um, you know, like record labels and artists here that just didn't have any grasp on where to start with that stuff. Um, so there was a couple of agencies like ours in the space. Uh, we kind of took a foray into uh, working, um, you know, like I said, with record labels and artists directly and kind of quickly realized that it's a really hard space to work in, right? Um, and that was a, uh, you know, really hard to measure success. And, you know, why why isn't, uh, despite all of our efforts and all of our hard work, why isn't my song number one? Uh, you know, like a lot, a lot of really hard questions. And, and, and it was only so much that we could really do back in those days. And, you know, social media was just like a nice to have thing. It wasn't like a really required uh, uh, you know, service that or required part of a marketing plan, which is something that was really nice. And fast forward today, it's a lot, it's a lot different. Um, but uh, we took a pivot in 2009, our second year in, in business. And um, we took a pivot into, uh, into events, live events. And that's kind of the domain that we play in almost primarily today. Awesome. Well, first off, kudos to uh, what, 14 years of business. That's a uh... That's, that's it'll be 15 um, in April. Yeah. What's 15 stat, in April. What's the stat about businesses filing after X amount of time? Isn't that something like 90% of them file after five years or something? Yeah. We're still filing. Especially, especially <laughs> we fail up, especially partnerships. It's like I always joke, you know, we, 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 um, we haven't killed each other yet, but we've come close quite a few times. Yeah. And you guys have went through the initial downturn in OA and then a pandemic and, and events yeah. just basically canceling for a year oh, or two. Yeah. So, so. Remember so exciting to chat. What's that? Remember when that happened? Yeah, crazy. Um, crazy, but uh, excited to kind of get into some details here of everything. So number one, 
you know, uh, just chatting about kind of, you know, iterating from, um, you know, musician marketing, right, to live events. Why did you guys decide live events? Like, like, did you just, did you have some background to that? Well, we were fortunate to sort of, I guess, um, luck our way into a couple of them early. Um, and uh, the thing about the, the record company side of the coin, so, so performers is, you know, record companies are famous for, wanting something last minute and then taking 120 days to pay for it and all those things so while it might be sexy to do something for a big name artist it, it, it doesn't actually make a lot of a lot of business sense so um, I don't think we were looking to work in the recorded music space for our egos or anything or it was just we were trying to start a business so right. it, it didn't make a lot of hard hard sense there from that perspective um, the live event thing we sort of fell into pretty pretty early which is great um, and then we were very fortunate to pick up a, a large client early in that space which is the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo which is in Texas so um, that was great uh, we uh, we you know walked over hot coals to get the business with them and we we're still working with them 15 years later so um, that's been a great partnership as well. Awesome and then specifically um, related to you know to events or what you guys do are you guys physically at these events just marketing uh, front for ticket sales promoting the event like what what does that encompass. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, when we first started, we were absolutely at all the events that we work for, right? That was like a core component to our offering. We'd actually go out there and take pictures and make social media posts, really because nobody else knew how to do it or trusted anybody else with the passwords to the accounts. So we would be those two hippies from Nashville that would, you know, go to, go to Texas and try and make sense of a calf scramble or try and make sense of a, of a truck wagon race and, and make it interesting on, online, you know? Um, all, all the while assuring the organizations that we work with that it, it was okay for people to leave comments on the content, you know, like it's, it's just changed so much, but, um, you know, that we would, we really would in the first, I would say half of our business, just promise the moon and the stars and kind of do like a, you know, like a lot of retainer model stuff, um, for them when we would say like, we'll be your department. We'd say stupid things like we'll be your department for hire. And we'll do anything we know how to do as long as you pay us a retainer. And, and, and you know, um, if we know how to do it, we're going to do it for you anyway. We never we'll, say no. We never say no. Like that, this, that's, that's actually what, one of our phrases we used to use. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, that, that was about probably the first half of it. And, um, yeah, we've kind of come a long way from there and kind of, you know, once we get into the numbers and look at what's profitable, look what, what's measurable, um, once we really got serious about that, um, you know, our offering really changed around that. Yeah, and, and also just to piggyback that, look look what is best for the client. You know, what what is the best use of their money? Um, is it having us do menial tasks or, or is it having us do, you know, advanced high-level ad science stuff that they can't do themselves? So just tr trying to be transparent about all of that as well. Yeah, yeah, I've, uh, <clears throat> as a fellow entrepreneur, I understand the whole, Hey, we'll do everything for you. Model for the first half, uh, handful of years of a business, and then over time, you're like, this doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, so cool, um, good. So from an aspect of, I guess before we even get started into that, like, I want, I want like the best, most interesting story of like the the fair you went to in middle of Kansas or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, there's like a really good, a memorable story. There's been a lot of interesting things that have happened to us over the years. I don't, I don't one year we were working at the state fair of Texas. This isn't really that great of a story, but they, they, they asked us to go help them capture this photo moment of 
it was a Texas OU game, right? So at State Fair of Texas, it's like one of the biggest events in the country. And during the fair, they have like a NCAA or a SEC football event there with 95,000 people in the stadium, on the fairgrounds during the fair, right? So it's yeah. mayhem. And apparently the halftime, the marching band makes a some type of a formation that looks like the word Texas, maybe? I can't remember exactly yeah. what it was. They asked us to go up to the top of the Cotton Bowl. Is it the Cotton Bowl? Yeah. There? Is that yeah. Cotton Bowl and take a picture of this, you know, moment. And I just remember being up there on the roof of the Cotton Bowl with Mark and going like, how the heck do we get up there? I'm from a kid from Connecticut. Mark's from Australia, right? And we're on the roof of the Cotton Bowl during the Texas OU game at the State Fair of Texas. It's absolutely crazy. So I don't know. My point is uh, I would have never thought I would do that in a million years. And, and, and there we were. I was kind of more blown out by the snipers that were on the top of the, oh, yeah. uh, that were like around the top of the stadium looking yeah. down. I was like, Dallas police. There's yeah. people with guns over there. And they're like, <laughs> they're like yeah. They're, they're, they're the good guys. Yeah, <laughs> Every game, apparently there's guys with guns up there looking yeah. at people down below, like ready we're to glad take they're them there. Well, you guys got there because you said yes to everything. So that's right. Yeah, exactly. Take a picture of the marching band. Sure. <laughs> One more place. Awesome. So it sounds like if, as we kind of get into more of the nuts and bolts of this, you know, so your model back in the day, um, when you moved to live events was, hey, for this dollar amount, we're going to do everything. You, you weren't really understanding or maybe looking at um, the amount of time and energy you're spending or hours that go into that retainer amount. Is that correct? That's right. Greg, uh, none of us were married or had kids at that point either. So it was just uh, do whatever we need to do, you know? Yep. Good, good. So then I guess when did your, um, as you were kind of going through and just you know, hey, money, money's coming in the door. We're going to make this work. We're going to spend unlimited hours on these accounts, things like that. When did that start to change? Or when did your, you know, mentality around that uh, start to change, I guess? And, and when did you start looking kind of maybe like there's a better, more efficient way to do things? Yeah, interesting. I mean, I'll be honest. I went to, to see Tony Robbins. I went to the Tony Robbins Business Mastery Conference. And, you know, Tony talks a lot about um, understanding the numbers and living and breathing by that and having a CEO, sorry, CFO, uh, either, you know, fractional sense or full time. And, and really like, you know, he, he put our business into perspective, whereas like we had, we were leaving an infancy stage where, you know, in the infant stage, we're doing everything we know how to do to get cash in the door. And then kind of like graduating to a toddler stage where we are doing some things and money isn't quite an issue, but we're still kind of doing everything. But that next phase required more business intelligence uh, or we were never going to get there. Right. Um, and I think I, like that was a real realization for me. And of course, passed that along to Mark and said, I think we need some help. You know, like we've got the books kind of covered, but we don't really understand what all of it means. Um, and at that point, uh, we, we took a look at what's next. Awesome. So before then, I guess when you were looking at the numbers, you're saying you're just looking at general P&Ls, what's in the bank account, just kind of, okay, hey, the bank account's from, uh, growing or we'll be able to take more money out is that basically what that looked like it looked like the bank account for i mean it's honestly like what's in the bank account right and the only time we would print pnl pnls and balance sheets and, and all that was when we were doing our taxes you know yep. it's like those those documents were not super relevant to us and not something we were looking at because we were, were too busy you know um with uh, running around with cameras so. yep. yep yep and that's completely normal um for a lot of business owners just hey bank account up great Let, let's go and move forward and, and without actually looking at kind of margins and, and different things that we can get into so at that perspective you went ahead and, and started looking around and i'm assuming that's when like accountfully and, and you guys were uh, connected and, and started working together 
Yeah, that's right. I mean, we found Accountfully and uh, as as an agency that that uh, offered you know fractional CFO service services like we were looking for. We had a bookkeeper that was kind of doing our books every three months, which wasn't working for us. Um, and, and but but really with the, the digital emphasis, with the emphasis on digital marketing agencies, right, and the, and the yeah. digital marketing playbook, which we still use today, uh, and that was kind of you know a real attractive offering for us all, all in one setup. Awesome. Glad to hear that. So yeah, so, uh, you know, as we've kind of worked with you and, and kind of just for all the the service providers, even like, you know, anybody that's out there kind of today, right, you guys are in the creative space marketing, right, but even accountants, lawyers, architects, whoever, like the whole goal of here is a service based business makes money based upon billable hours, right. So at the end of the day, moving from a model of just looking at what's your bank account, general P&L for tax purposes to more real-time reviews of cash, more real-time reviews of P&L. Like what else were you looking at during these conversations or weekly or monthly? Well, I think the biggest, the biggest, I shouldn't say the biggest because we may have different opinions on this, but the time tracking component was a real metric that we now live and die by. Yeah. It helps inform all of our decisions. We weren't doing that before. So um, knowing what not only each other, but our staff and team are, are all working on and how long they're spending on a particular project and how much money that project makes versus, you know, you know, all the stuff you spend one hour here and it returns X and then you spend another hour over here and it returns 10 X. Well, what should we be working on? Oh, okay. We should be working on more of those guns, you know? So just looking at things like that. Awesome. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because for any kind of agency or service provider, your, your, your biggest cost is your labor, right? Whether yeah. it's W-2 employees, owners pay, or whether you use maybe more consistent 1099s or contractors. So the whole goal is what is the most, uh, you know, the best, most labor efficient way to use that those labor costs from an ROI perspective, like you're saying. So tracking time and really having good data where you can understand what is the revenue or cash that creates, you know, that comes in the door from this output basically comes into play. So then as you guys were reviewing kind of, you know, prop P&Ls by basically, you know, by customer job, right? Factoring in what you're bringing in, what is the cost of that aspect of labor, 1099s, direct expenses, et cetera. That's when things started like light bulbing or, you know, like saying, hey, how do we move forward or iterate? Yeah, I, I think it helped us realize some parts of the business were, were extremely profitable and some were terrible, terrible, yeah. you know, um, and before that was kind of just based on a feeling like, Hey, this feels great. I'm enjoying this part of it. And I hate this part of it, but yeah. Or this client driving me nuts. Yeah. And you realize that yeah. that's, uh, you know, you, you, your least profitable client. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's quite often those two things have got nothing to do with each other, you know? Yep. Yep. Definitely. Definitely. So at that point, then it sounded like you moved, you know, per just kind of discussing, um, with, with Chris, who's your team lead on our end, plus you guys, like you moved to kind of a different revenue model right yeah that's been that's been a huge change for us in the last yeah week. absolutely it gets that it gets i mean it's funny you get all this data together and you get some really simple key metrics out of it like it helped us establish what our hourly rate should be like our hourly billing like we never knew that before right uh and that that i mean just like one of the most important things you can have in a business like what is an hour of my time worth um and then you can apply, basically apply that to just any other section in your, of your reporting and you have a lot of answers revealed so um, that's like, that number wasn't something that's just that we got overnight, but took a couple months worth of time tracking. And, you know, we use Harvest, which is an awesome browser plugin to track our time and projects for all of our team, but it informs every decision that we make. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think kind of a big part of this whole conversation is like, um, even for anybody in business, right? The whole goal is, is, is whether you're a product-based business or a service-based business is really understanding what drives profitability of the business. And in a service-based or agency business like this, it is job profitability. Right. That's what it comes down to. So you can't just look at a P&L as a whole and be like, oh, I'm profitable because you don't understand. Once you look at the 10 jobs that make up that P&L, there may be one job that literally is the most profitable by far and your biggest client that literally is driving 95% of the margin and, re- and profit. So then you may look at it and be like, let's just focus on this. Or maybe yep. you have two or three jobs looking at that. So when you do that, that's when very easily and gradually um, you can kind of, you know, get rid of old clients, price new ones, increase rates as it is and become consistently more efficient with your, you know, your, your labor kind of spend over time. Um, well, I'm, I'm glad to hear all that, you know, from kind of where you guys are looking at. And, and I think a big key and a big, um, as a fellow business owner, for me, it is the labor market is crazy right now. So you just don't want to go ahead and hire more and more and more and more people just to drive higher revenues at lower margins when let's be more labor efficient, enjoy working with five or six, seven employees maybe versus growing to 30 and being, you know, and making maybe the same amount of money or, or having a better, uh, uh, you know, profit per your time because you guys have families and kids, right? Is that kind of your whole thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both, man. Um, I think, you know, we are still a boutique agency and we, you know, we're not, we don't want to be Sachi and Sachi, but we, we sort of are in a growth phase and um, you alluded alluded to it before about this new model that we have now from a pricing structure has really opened up the, uh, um, the market to us a lot more. So and that, that market being live events. So just really quickly, beforehand, we were working in a capacity where, you know, it's like a traditional agency model where it was a, essentially a retainer or a contract, you know, a per month or per year. Um, and we were the department for hire who did you know, X amount of tasks uh, for, for them. Um, and we realized that there was really only a hand, well, a handful, maybe 20 uh, large scale events that could afford us, you know, um, and we were already working with 10 of them or more. So there was really a ceiling on how big we could grow with that. Um, and then, so we, as time changes and um, social media changes, we, we've adapted and realized that a lot of what we were doing for some of these larger clients can be done uh, in-house or, you know, um, not to belittle content creation or content capture, but, you know, you can send somebody, an intern or somebody out to give them a list of things to take photos of and go around the grounds of an event and take photos. You don't need to be paying crap load of money to us here in Nashville to to take pictures of the pig races to go and do that, you know? So then we caused us to sort of pause and say like, what, what, do we really bring what is the benefit of having us versus the intern with a camera? Um, and the thing that we were really doing that was moving the needle for our clients was ticket sales. So it was digital advertising. So before that was a part of our business that we included, it certainly, certainly was a large part, but we did all these other things. And so when we realized that the digital advertising um, uh, was what was missing from a lot of these other folks or that they weren't capable of doing it to the um, level that we can, um, we, we dove into that. So we changed the pricing structure to remove all the content and all the other things, just focus on the, on the ad science and the digital advertising. And instead of charging a retainer, we now charge a per ticket fee, which is a little scary, um, but it does put us really uniquely aligned with the client's goals, which is to sell more tickets. So yeah. if we don't sell many tickets, we don't make much money. And it happens. That happens sometimes, but generally we back ourselves and we hire great people and we 
and try to educate ourselves continuously. And so we do the as good a job as humanly possible. And if we sell a lot of tickets, we make a lot of money. And mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a variable cost to the the to the event company or to the event itself. So it's not as big of a dollar amount in, as a percentage of their revenue, right? Because it grows gradually with it. So, well, kudos to you guys for you know uh, identifying that and you know pivoting to that model and 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 you know and having success to it. Kind of one big question I do have is, um, since the labor market is crazy, hiring is tough, finding really good talent is tough, training them, getting them on board, buying in, you know, the, the whole nine yards. Like, when do you guys decide to hire? Um, knowing when to hire, you know, where to go to hire, like what's your kind of, you know, uh, mindset on that? Yeah, it's an interesting question, Brad, because I think our, our situation is very unique in that regard because we have a capacity to service a certain number of clients, but our clients basically end and go away after a two or three month span in a lot of cases, right? They're live events. So there's like a two or three or sometimes four month lead up. We have all these ded- resources dedicated to serving those, servicing those folks. Also, they end, they have the event happens, they sell a bunch of tickets. We hand them over a report and all the resources that were dedicated to those guys kind of get rinsed and renewed for the next um, client, you know? Um, so we've been able to take on a lot of clients, um, but a pretty small team, which has been pretty interesting. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's inter- after COVID, um, one thing that has changed for us in hiring is, you know, we used to be super militant about hiring folks right here in Nashville, right? Like local folks that were, you know, sometimes we get people that had degrees from Belmont or like had familiarity or had spokes into the music industry. Um, and we're really just, you know, we never considered if so we talked to somebody outside of the, of the state, then we would want them to move here. Right. And that was the only way that we would work with them. And now because remote work is so popular and we've got some great tools, keep ta- you know, keep track of what remote workers are doing. Um, I, I think, you know, it opened up the rest of the country to us uh as far as the labor pool yeah same thing with the council and many other providers it's the supply is is much bigger um and so like that's what's where the the talent is so you have to go there so awesome so kind of while we wrap up a couple of things number one um you know you were just talking about nashville like how clearly that's where you guys are your headquarters is where you used to solely hire like how has like nashville itself um, impacted kind of noise new over the last 14 years or almost 15 years in terms of maybe your growth, your decisions, kind of anything specific to that? Hmm. Well, you know, Nashville is a completely different city to what it was 14 years ago, you know? Sure is. Um, but it's funny, man. Like when I first moved to Nashville 16, 17 years ago, people were saying the same thing then to, you know, that was saying like, oh, back in the day, it was right. totally different, you know, now, you know, mm-hmm. so I don't know. I don't want to be the guy that the old man yelling, get off my lawn kind of thing. There's change, change occurs. And, and, you know, it certainly has grown. The city of Nashville has grown. So um, you know, it doesn't have the country and Western stigma that it might've had, you know, 20 years ago. It's a pretty funky kind of place. Um, but we actually just opened an office in Houston, in Houston, Texas as well. Um, so we've got, uh, Steve is, is heading that up. So we've got a couple of folks there and we've got remote workers all over the place as well, as you alluded to. So, um, Nashville's great. It's an entertainment hub, of course, you know, and a lot of the talent that is, um, uh, that we end up marketing like, uh, you know, your Tim McGraws or whatever, are hub here and their management companies are here. And so having those relationships and working with folks here in town is, is valuable, I think. Awesome. All right. The final two questions for you guys. So give me one service business do 
from uh, you guys' experiences the last 15 years? Yeah, that's a good question. I think the one that's I would encourage everyone to do that's worked the best for us is to is to base your fee on something that's measurable, right? Um, which basically, you know, try to smash through that unlimited upside at the best you can. Um, and really, I mean, talk about driving client appreciation. Like as Mark said, when you're sitting at the same side of the table as the client and you're performing marketing functions for them, uh, that is a wonder, like when it's all working, it's a wonderful synergy. Um, and it kind of unlocks you from that, you know, retainer based model where you're, you know, you got all 12 months of your invoices already planned out, no matter how good or bad you do, you're going to get the same amount of, uh, revenue off this client, um, really attaching to something that's measurable and, uh, with your fee structure. Yeah, and I, I would agree with that or just kind of, you know, mirror that sentiment, like trying to go from intangible to tangible. And it's sometimes very hard from a service perspective because you're, you're, you're not considering or looking at it like a, like a physical inventory product you're reselling. So how do you package that up and then identifying that and, and, and moving forward in that, in that measurement goal? So then what's, what's, uh, what's one don't for the uh, service-based business owner? I got one. If you, in the oh yeah, I, I got one too. But why don't you go ahead? Um, don't be afraid to uh, leave a client. That's a great. That one. would be probably one. It's tough because you know, reminiscing like we were before about back in the day. Shit, I would, I wouldn't, I would walk over a hot call, do anything, whatever they needed to to keep the money coming through the door. Um, and I think that was probably doing us a disservice. It probably inhibited us, inhibited us more than it did. Or a couple you know, years. Uh, just just clinging to that stuff, clinging to that you know consistent revenue, even though you need it to keep the lights on. I'm not saying you don't, of course, but being brave enough to go, this isn't working. They're never happy. They don't make me feel good. They make me not want to come to work. You know, that's not good for anybody. You know what I mean? So not being afraid to um, to say no to clients. Yeah, that's a great one. I think that comes with. Uh maturity of just being in business for more, you know, than several years and, and becoming more wise and, and getting more experience and realizing, you know, when this person goes away, typically something else on the other side, you know, appears through the next window and the next door and there's a, the other opportunity there, but kind of scared the first couple of years and, and anxious in, in those decisions. Well, this was great. Um, Mark and Steve, I really enjoyed the chat. Uh, again, Noise New Media um, based in Nashville. What's your guys' where can people find you? What do you guys got going on in the near term? Any any live events you're, you're supporting right now? Yeah. Oh, man, there's tons. Uh, so you can reach us, find us at noisenewmedia.com or, or Noise New Media on Instagram um, or find the best outlets to find us. Yeah, stuff's going on all the time. It's right now, it's today, um, September 9th or September 8th. And uh, we just finished the Indiana, Wisconsin, and Kentucky State Fairs and a bunch of other ones all over the country. And we're, we're heading up to the Big E next week, which is the state fair for the six New England states. So it's a super cool event. Actually, in my hometown event, I'm from Connecticut originally. So this one's in Southern Mass. Uh, tons of local beer. I'm not giving a plug for the Big E yeah, here, but yeah. uh, tons of local beers, lots of great concerts. Great, uh, great. Well, overall attendance, 1.4 million, the largest event on the East Coast. So that's where we're heading next. We had, we had I think, two years ago, we had about 18 clients. And, and two years later, we now, with this new model and the growth that we've experienced, we're up to 47. Wow. Um, Congrats, guys. We have projection to do another 20 in the next year. So, um, yeah, it's exciting times over here at Noisy Media, and we're just going to keep rocking and rolling. Awesome. When uh, I'm from Michigan, this summer, I took uh, our twin five-year-olds to uh, the local county fair where I'm from, and my kids called it the Farm Festival. 
I was like, nice. that's a great name for a county fair, the Farm Festival. Yeah. So yeah. we enjoy it. Do they need any digital marketing, Brad? <laughs> they <laughs> may. Check, out, Saginaw, check out the Saginaw County Fair up in Michigan. Yeah, yeah. probably do. But um, but awesome. And uh, you know, again, kudos on the uh, the growth and and the 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 you know just the scalability of your business and everything. And I'm I'm happy that a company can help out guys and uh, really appreciate your time and. And again, Steve and Mark from Noisy New and Brad from Accountly. And hope uh, hope you all uh, listen to this. Uh, enjoyed it. Brad, have a good one. Thanks, man.